Hello and welcome to the Find Your Flow radio show podcast. I'm your host, Winston Wittis, and I'm here today with a very special episode. Today's episode is What Beat or Accomplishment Did You Achieve While in a State of Flow or While in the Zone? Thank you, Shane Weber, for this fantastic question. What feat or accomplishment did you achieve while in a state of flow or while in the zone? Well, Shane, I would love to tell you that I won some world record or some big important tournament. And I do have a couple of stories of things that were big important things for me. And one of the first ones that comes to mind is when I was playing saxophone. So I'm a musician, or I used to be a musician. Some musicians just don't play as much. But once upon a time ago in college, I was playing saxophone for a jazz, end-of-the-year jazz band performance. And what was so cool about this particular jazz band was the professor, the instructor, Henry Threadgill by name. Very, very cool guy, amazing composer. And I had the chance to play while he conducted, and I had a solo. And on this particular song, this song called Paper Toilet by name, what do you have when you have a paper toilet? A very delicate situation. (laughs) That was his joke. And his music is so unique. It's so unique and different. And that particular song was just so awesome. I'd never played on anything like that. And I had the opportunity to do the solo, which was a really big deal because there was another saxophone player there, another alto saxophone player there, who was very, very good and probably really better than me. But where I think I got the chance to take the solo was because of my interpretation of the song and the the way that I performed it. And... I think that that's why I got it. So anyway, the day of the performance comes and we are, I went to UC, I was at UC Berkeley and we're performing in a, an auditorium, not the big one, but uh, definitely a, a big lecture, lecture hall. And it was full of people and I was playing on stage with a, a jazz legend, legendary jazz composer, really truly an honor to even be on stage with this gentleman and then to have the solo on top of it was really magnificent really an amazing opportunity for this particular song I was very very fortunate and felt really really grateful for the opportunity and it got we started playing the song and we got to my solo and I did I wish I had a recording I don't But I got to play that solo, and I remember just getting into the zone and flowing with it, and I got to the peak, the part where all you know we're building and building and all the energy, and it's just getting louder and crazier and more fun, and I'm improvising a solo, and I'm in the zone, I'm in the flow, and then I get toward the top, the peak, the 
peak of the peak, the zenith of this build-up of music in my solo. And I hit this note. It's a half note below the note that is the note that would have made it sound in tune. It would have it would have sounded like perfect and intentional and amazing. And in my style of improvisation, often I end up hitting the seventh note, the major seventh in a scale, which basically means a half step below the fundamental or the main note of that particular song. And so I land on the seventh, partially by accident, partially because I'm just in the zone. And, and I could have just simply stepped up a half step and resolved the tension because when you land on the seventh in in this particular instance there's tension there's tension and everybody subconsciously or unconsciously or at some level can feel that tension and wants it to resolve and and as i hit that note i had this moment and henry threadgill was walking by i'm on we're on stage Henry Threadgill's walking by, and he kind of gives me this little sideways glance. I'm holding this note for dear life. I'm holding this note. The tension is unreal. Auditorium full of people playing paper toilet. I've got the solo, the, the, head, the lead solo, Henry Threadgill, his own composition. We're playing it on stage, living jazz legend. I'm in the zone. I'm in the flow. I hit this note. I hold the note, and there's this... <laughs> this saying or this anecdote in jazz that if you hit the wrong note one time, play that note again to make it right. <laughs> you play it again. That that makes it right. You hold it. And I hit that note and I stuck it. I stuck to that note and I did not waver. And I held it and I played it loud and proud. And in that moment, I saw so much of my life. I saw that it was such a great, I, I missed it by this much. <laughs> I missed it by this, that much, right? That tiny half step, which is a half step off. If I had landed on that, the the one note, the the fundamental tone, I the dough, I'd have, it had been insane. And the place would have erupted even more. But, I didn't, and I, it's okay because that's life. That's for me. That is so so life. So close. It's right there. It was all there. Everything was there. This peak moment of my life, my musical, one of the peak moments of my musical career as, as a saxophonist. Really, probably probably was up to this point anyway. And I stuck that note, and nobody, for the most part, is going to be any wiser. It still sounded good. It still sounded intentional, and I still got a great round of applause. But I remember Henry Threadgill's, he was, you know, kind of walking back and forth. He's conducting, he's pacing up there, and, and he kind of just, you know, gave me that look like, are you going to resolve it? Are you going to stay here? And I and I stayed there. And um, so that, that moment really sticks out for me as a particular flow experience that was kind of a a peak peak flow experience. So I've got a couple others. One was probably uh my first saxophone performance and it was in fifth grade and it was jazz band. 
and I'd never performed for anybody before. I was in the jazz band. We got up on stage. I was nervous, sitting in the front row with my alto saxophone. We're all dressed up in our nice clothes. And the auditorium was packed. And we, you know, the conductor, our teacher, steps in front of us, gives us the look, taps his baton on the music stand. We pull up our instruments. Boom, we go into this song. I feel good, James Brown. And man, instantly the place went crazy. The place erupted. I'd never experienced anything like that in my life. And I went instantly into a flow state because at that point, you know, I knew this song. I had it memorized. I had, had it really well. But what happened was there was so much energy in the room, and I was so overwhelmed with the energy in the room and the emotion I suddenly felt that my eyes started watering. It was just, like, overwhelming. It was a, it was a great kind of overwhelm, but it was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, people, like I'd never had people just go – I'd never been on stage, at least that I remembered, and I'd certainly never played saxophone on stage. And we're playing this awesome song, and the whole place knew it and went crazy. And I just went into a flow state. I couldn't even see the music anymore. But fortunately, my fingers knew what to do. And that was when I was hooked. It's like, man, this is this is amazing. <laughs> I wanted to do more of this. And that was that was a really powerful peak experience flow state for me as well. And then I got one more good one that comes up off the top of my head, which is the one that really sparked this whole Finder Flow movement for me and the journey that I've been on for the last 20 years. So once upon a time ago, New Year's Eve 2000, there was this thing called the Y2K Scare. And the Y2K scare was this idea that the media was pushing that all the clocks in our computers and our, our all of our electronic devices was going to run out of time. You know, we're going to hit the year 2000. Who knows what's going to happen? They're going to reset, and that could cause all sorts of havoc, right? The electrical grid might go out, or the security systems might reset. You know, all these horrible cataclysmic events could happen because the, you know, all these clocks are going to reset, a Y2K. We don't know what's going to happen. Oh, my gosh. So everybody pretty much knew that it was just some media thing and they're just trying to sell newspapers. But just to be safe, my friends and I, we decided we'd go out to the desert and camp in the desert over the weekend. So we went out to the desert. There's four of us. And we... I, up until this point, I had started going to raves, electronic dance music parties. And I never used to be a dancer. I was very, very self-conscious of dancing or anything that remotely resembled dancing. I was a musician, and I identified as a musician, an instrumentalist. And many instrumentalists, for better or for worse, have this notion that they, you know, I'm an instrumentalist, I don't, therefore I don't dance, or I don't need to dance, it's, you know, I let my music speak for myself, I let my instrument speak for me, kind of thing, and so it was not something normal for me 
But as I started going to these dance parties, it was very cool because it was generally a dark room and everybody was just dancing, doing their own thing. You didn't have to dance with somebody else. You just danced your own whatever. And I loved it. And I started to develop a style and I learned from so many different people. That was another neat thing about these parties was we would meet all sorts of really cool people and everybody had their own style and you could learn pieces from different people. And and there's different areas of the country and the world that people have their own, there's certain styles that come out of certain areas. So I got to learn some neat styles. And so I was practicing these pieces of this kind of style called liquid. And what's so cool about liquid is it looks like the person is made of this big bundle of liquid, like you're made of water or jelly. And combine that with this other dance style called floating, which makes it look like you're floating across the dance floor. So the two of these together, liquid and then floating, kind of got this liquid float. So I had these little patterns, hand patterns and feet patterns that I had been working on and practicing over and over and over for months and months and months. And it was really fun and addictive because I could get in these little flow states with it. And I couldn't stop doing it, it seemed. Whenever I had a free chance, my hands were doing these dance movements. So Y2K, we're out in the desert, and we're just having a good time. We got a campfire, we got music, and I'm starting to dance. And all of a sudden, I start dancing, and it all starts just flowing together. Like it's never flowed before. I started linking moves together that I had never, I didn't know I could combine those moves. It just started happening almost magically, even without thinking. And if I slipped, then I magically caught myself and went into this new move that I'd never done before. So I was inventing new moves on the fly. They'd been mistakes, but not really. Because I just went, if I just went with it, I wrote it out, I discovered that there, that it could go in any number of ways. I was just going in the flow of it. And I started floating above my body. And my body kept dancing. Even just fluid, floating liquid. And it felt magical. And I was floating, my awareness was floating above my body. And this wise voice started speaking to me. It said, this is flow. You will write a book about this, and you will learn to expand this experience into every area of your life. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. It was crystal clear in my mind. And I was floating above my body, and it was doing this. It just felt amazing. It felt like I was on top of the world, like the world was flowing through me in all sorts of magical, mystical ways. And when I started, my awareness started sinking back down into my body and reconnecting with my body, and I was profoundly changed. And I knew that it had been a real divine message for me. And I I got to work on what would become Find Your Flow, and I've been been working on it ever since. So that flow state was extremely significant for me. It was definitely an awakening to my calling, to my purpose here on planet Earth. And so that was quite significant. It wasn't as public and 
yeah, it wasn't as public or, you know, maybe fame-oriented as some of uh, the other flow states I've had or done or accomplishments I've done while under flow, on flow, through flow, <laughs> flow. But it was certainly significant for me, and I believe that as I continue to ride this wave and go with the flow of this movement, that it will continue to impact people that I interact with day in and day out, and that will resonate, reverberate, and flow outward through them and into everyone that they come in contact with. So I feel that this is something that has been an incredibly powerful and fortunate experience for me personally. And that was probably for me the most significant flow state experience that I've had to date. So thank you for reading. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you. Thanks Shane for your question. Great question. Take care and until next time my friend, be flowing.